Allow me to engage you in an exercise this morning, which will introduce today's message. I will read a list of things for you, all of which are true about myself. But I want you to help me decide whether these are healthy fears or unhealthy fears. So as I read through this list, if uh, anything on the list represents a healthy fear, I want you to give me a thumbs up, all right? If it is an unhealthy fear, I want you to give me a thumbs down. So are we clear on that? So healthy fears, thumbs up. Unhealthy fears, thumbs down, all right? I am terribly allergic to most shellfish. So if I'm having shrimp with somebody over lunch, I am very careful because I do not want to violently throw up. All right, that's healthy. That is healthy. If I go to the beach, which I do quite a lot, I was fortunate to be able to go twice while we were back home. That's just to brag on Rhonda, because she brags on me during the snow. <laughs> if I ever go to the beach and there's no one there, I will not go in, because I'm afraid that if something happens to me while I'm in the water, there would be nobody to assist me. All right, thumbs up again. All right, some in my family of origin are alcoholics. And so I am very, very careful to avoid alcohol because I'm afraid that I may acquire the taste for it. I may all, I'm terribly afraid that this could even cost me my ministry. So I avoid alcohol, healthy or unhealthy. We're doing good. Final one. When it comes to pornography, I strive to bounce my eyes and starve my mind. That's not original to me. That's a term from uh, uh, Minute Maya Clinic, I think. Some Christian psychologists. I strive to bounce my eyes and starve my mind because I fear the physical psychological, and even spiritual harm that it would do to me. Healthy fear or unhealthy fear? Wow. I'm, I'm impressed. So no thumbs down. For our message today, we are going to go to a teaching from Jesus. He is teaching his disciples the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. We're in Luke chapter 12, not Luke chapter 17, but Luke chapter 12, and we're reading verses 4 through 7. Jesus speaking says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, we did leave a space in your bulletins for you to write uh, notes. Here's our first point this morning, that Jesus warns his disciples against having the wrong kinds of fear. A warning against having the wrong kinds of fear. 
So in this teaching about fear, Jesus is speaking to disciples of his. Those who have placed their faith and their trust in him as their Messiah. But notice that he doesn't call them disciples. He would have been correct had he used that term. But he doesn't call them disciples. He calls them friends. Friends. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, he considers us to be friends of his. The Lord of heaven, the Lord of hosts, the God that we just sang about who is perfect in holiness and power and might, he considers us, us, friends. I don't know about you, but it makes my heart glad to know that Jesus considers me as his friend, a friend of his. Not just as a disciple of his, not just as somebody who is following him, not just as somebody who is serving him, but as a friend of his. Friend. And he wants us to go through life not having the wrong kinds of fear. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now, one of the things that Jesus wants us to know from this passage is that he knows about the pressures that you and I are dealing with. He knows. And he not only knows and understands these pressures, because it's one thing to know and not be able to do something about it, it's another thing to know and then to really care about the pressures that you're dealing with. So he knows, but he also cares. He cares about us. Now, you may be facing pressures in your life this morning that nobody else knows about. But I want you to know that Jesus knows about that, and he also cares for you because you are his friend. You are a friend of his. Now, these, these disciples of Jesus, they were facing uh, religious pressure. They were experiencing persecution at the hands of the Pharisees for believing and teaching that Jesus, that having faith in Jesus, rather than keeping the law of Moses, but by placing their faith in Jesus, they could be saved. The Pharisees were a very religious sect who believed and taught that in order for you to be a child of God, you had to be a child of Abraham and you had to keep the law of Moses. So here come these disciples, and they're teaching and believing that you are a disciple or a child of God, not because of your pedigree, but because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so persecution was very real for them. They were facing persecution because of their faith, because of placing their trust in Jesus for their salvation. And so in the book of Acts, Disciples of Jesus were made to endure beatings with cat o' nine tails. You know what that is? A whip that had many, um, many parts to it, and at the end of each one was a very sharp metal that tore into your flesh and ripped it when you were beaten. They endured floggings and even stoning that left them for death. They also had to endure the economic and social pressure that came from being ostracized from the community. 
Now, in today's disciples, this, I'm sorry, in today's society, disciples of Jesus often face many kinds of pressure. We face the pressure to compromise with and to conform to the ways of the world, don't we? Now, if you don't feel this pressure to conform with the world and to compromise with the world, if you don't feel that on a daily, daily basis, then you ought to check yourself to see whether you are really a disciple of Jesus. Now, someone rightly said that if you don't feel the devil chasing after you, it may be because you and he are going in the same direction. I heard that last week and I was like, whoa. That is so true. If you don't feel the devil chasing after you, it may be because both of you are going in the same direction. So check yourself. And so because, of our, because our Christian stance puts us at odds with the world, we may often face persecution by those who have an ungodly worldview. Notice what Paul says to Timothy his son in the faith, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus, that sounds like disciples to me, right? Those of us who are disciples, all who desire to live a, life, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That sounds very, very true. Sounds like the world in which we live. And so Jesus issues a call in the text that we read this morning for his disciples to be strong and not to be afraid of people who are behind these pressures. I think that fearing people is an example of unhealthy fear. Why? Because Jesus says that the power of people to hurt us is very limited. Now, yes, they can hurt us, but the power of people to hurt us is limited. People can kill us in many ways. People can destroy our reputation with their words. People can kill our hopes and dreams with their discouragement. And people can kill our bodies with their violence. But here is the good news. Jesus says... That after people have done all of that to us, that's all they can do. That is all they can do. There's nothing more that they can do, in, do to us. In other words, the worst that people can do to a friend of Jesus is to kill them physically. The worst that people can do to a friend of Jesus is to kill them physically. But physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person, is it? The worst thing that can happen to a person is spiritual death, which is eternal separation from the presence of God. Physical death, however, can only usher a friend of Jesus into the presence of God. Because, you see, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, which means that death is not something that we should be afraid of, and yet many of us are. I'm told that after eating to his heart's satisfaction, 
A man sat down in his favorite chair beside an open window and said to himself, I feel so good right now, I can die. And so the breeze that was coming through the window lulled him off to sleep. Sleep was disturbed a few minutes later by a loud knocking on the door. Who is that, he asked. I am death, and I have come for you as you requested. To which the very scared man says, do you mean to tell me that a man can't even make a joke in his own house? <laughs> we ought not to be afraid of death. And so as friends of Jesus, we need not to be afraid of the pressure of persecution, the pressure of people, the pressure of problems, the pressure of personalities, not even the pressure of death, which is the last enemy that will we'll all face one day. As scary as, as death seems to us with, with all of its finality, with all of the grief and sadness that surrounds it, Jesus says we need not be afraid of it. Because that's not the worst thing that can happen to us as friends of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus instructs his disciples to have the right kind of fear. So he warns us against having the wrong kinds of fear, and now he instructs us in having the right kind of fear. But I will warn you whom to fear, Jesus says. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So the right kind of fear is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, as we often say, means having reverence, complete reverence for the otherness of God. What that means is that God is not like us. God is other than us, the otherness of God, which refers to the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is so powerful, in, indeed more powerful than anything that we could ever think of or dream, uh, dream of. It is so powerful that this is how the writer of the book of Hebrews describes it. He describes it as a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. The writer says this, Let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we must have a healthy respect for the holiness of God. And there's nothing more powerful than the otherness, the holiness of God. You and I must have a healthy respect for God's character, which is holy. Because you see, the holiness of God can crush any one of us at any time. The holiness of God can wipe out anyone at any time. The holiness of God can consume any one of us at any time. Jesus says here in this text that God has the authority to kill and after that to cast into hell, which is a place of both eternal agony and eternal separation from God. Who would not fear somebody like that? with that kind of power. So God is the one we are to fear. The fear of God is the right kind of fear. I believe that there are three things that the fear of God 
produces in us, the first of which is awe or a healthy respect for the holiness of God. We've talked about that a little bit. If you look in the Old Testament book of Exodus, when God revealed himself to the Israelites, his people on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, he did so through thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. That's how he revealed himself to them. And the people became so afraid of God that they begged Moses to deliver to them God's message rather than to actually have to face God himself. You can find that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 29, and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Also, we find that the psalmist David, when he reflected on God as creator, this is what he said. He said, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. We must have reverence for God. Now in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I'm sure many of you have read it. If not, you haven't read it, you've probably seen um, the movie on it. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they are trying to explain to Susan and Lucy just who Aslan is. So here's a conversation that ensues between them. You'll understand when you see him, the beavers said. But shall we see him? asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's why I brought you here for. I am to lead you to where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is he a man, said Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly, sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what... Mrs. Beaver tells you, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. But he is good. So this king of whom or for whom we have reverential fear, he's not safe. But he is good. So we fear him. Secondly, it should produce faith in us. Faith, which translate into, translates into obedience. The fear of the Lord leads us as believers to place our faith and our trust in God alone for our salvation. Now, after the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and after they saw how the Lord destroyed the entire Egyptian army who came after them, they feared the Lord by putting their trust in him. This is what the psalmist David encourages us to do in Psalm 115 and verse 11. 
he says that we should trust in the Lord for he is our help and our shield. The one who helps us and the one who protects us is God. So we place our trust in him. I believe thirdly, that the fear of the Lord produces in us an avoidance of sin. So in the first instance, it produces reverence for God. Secondly, it produces faith that leads to obedience. Thirdly, it should produce in us an avoidance of sin. The fear of God involves recognizing that God is angry over sin. He's not angry with us. That's the difference. He's never angry with us. He's angry over sin. And God will punish those who oppose him and break his laws. So when Adam and Eve sinned, guess what? They realized their sin and they hid from the presence of God. They were afraid. Moses experienced this same fear as well when he spent 40 days and 40 nights praying for the Israelites, saying, I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Then again, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews acknowledges, acknowledges something about God that we sometimes tend not to want to acknowledge. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because God is a consuming fire. So we're not afraid of him, but we hold him in highest respect. Because you see, we don't want to get caught on the wrong side of God's justice because he has the, he has the authority to kill and after he is killed, to cast into hell. Thankfully, friends, friends of God as we are, we need not be afraid of that. But I would say this morning that if you aren't a friend of God, you should be afraid of that. Because you see, as friends of God, we are the recipients of God's constant mercy and grace. Thirdly, Jesus has a conclusion and his conclusion is that his disciples are to fear and not to fear. Sounds a little confusing, right? To fear and not to fear. I know that Cindy's laughing because of this uh, book. Um, what's, how does it go again? To, to um, I'm forgetting the book. Um, I tied myself up. What's that book, Cindy? You, you're, you're a literature buff. You're a reader. To be or not to be, yes, Shakespeare, yes, to be or not to be. So Jesus' conclusion here is to fear or not to fear. And this is what he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So there's some assurance that that Jesus wants to give to his disciples, to his friends. He wants to assure them that God is aware of their situation no matter how bad it gets. What if there's somebody here this morning who needs to hear that? God is aware of your situation, your pressure, 
the things that you're dealing with, no matter how bad it gets. Jesus goes on to say there's even five sparrows. They're sold for a few pennies, but even they can't escape God's attention. I'm told that sparrows were the cheapest thing that was sold in the ancient market. You couldn't find anything cheaper than sparrows. That's why Jesus used this example. And the Greek word asarian is a word for penny. It was the lowest valued Roman coin. I'm told it was worth only as one sixteenth of a denarius, which is half an hour's minimum wage. If God cared for the insignificant things, the birds, wouldn't he care for his friends, those of us he considers friends? If God showed so much care for sparrows that not one of them falls to the ground without his knowing, will he not care for those of us who are his friends? Why does God take the time, we might even say the pain, to number the very hairs of your head? Now that would be a challenge for me because I have none. I'm kind of figuring, as I read this, I'm like, God, would you have a problem figuring mine out? Because I certainly don't have any. But why would he take such pains to be able to know how many strands of hair you have on your head if he didn't care about your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being? So as friends of God, we are of more value to him than sparrows. As friends of God, we need not fear people, persecution, problems, or even death. But we fear the one who knows that whatever we face, he knows whatever we face and he cares enough to be able to help us through whatever we face. And so we fear him. This is our bottom line of our message this morning. Disciples of Jesus must fear God alone. I want to close this message this way this morning. I want to close it by speaking to the fears that you may be dealing with today. I'm sure that if you went through a list of them, you might, you might come away with the conclusion that most, most of them are unhealthy fears. Some of you are dealing with fears about your health and whether your health will hold up. Some of you are dealing with fears about the economy and how it will impact you and your family. Some of you are carrying in the present fears from your past that are keeping you from living fully in the present. Some of you fear what your Christian faith will cost you. Is God going to ask me to give up more than I really want to? Is he going to ask me to go further with him than I really want to go? Some of you are afraid that God will say, you're afraid of what God will say to you when you finally stand before him in judgment. Whatever your fear is this morning, I'm going to challenge you to bring your fears to Jesus. Bring your fears to Jesus. Doesn't his word command us? to cast all our cares and our fears upon him because he cares for us? I'm going to ask you this morning, that if you are, if you are and this, I'm not going to trick, this is not a 
I never believe in tricking anybody. So please, I have no agenda. Nothing is up my sleeve. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But I want to say to you this morning that if you are a disciple of Jesus, would you please stand? If you are a disciple of Jesus, please stand. For the record, that's most of you. I want to assure you of a few things while you're standing. First of all, I want to assure you this morning that you are a friend of God. God considers you his friend. His friend. And as his friend, there is no one else in the entire world that God loves and cares for as much as you. That's the first thing I want to assure you of this morning. Secondly, I want to assure you that you belong to a community, a community of disciples, a community of friends of God. And as a community, we all have a number of things in common. For example, we serve the same God, the same Savior. We're on the same journey, although your journey might look a little different from mine, and we're headed to the same destination. We share the same hope. And we have the same love for one another. And so based on those realities, those things that we have in common, that this community that supports one another, I want to invite you to take the hand of somebody who's close to you, either next to you, behind you, in front of you. Just take that person's hand. And I want you to pray for that person whose hand you're holding, because that person may be dealing with some real fears this morning that nobody else knows about. Just pray quietly that God would help that person to understand that he can give, he or she can give those fears to you. And as you're praying for the other person, I'll pray for us all together. Let us pray together. God, we affirm this morning, based on the truth of your word, that we are your friends. That means, oh God, that you not only love us, but you like us. God, many of us can't really relate to the latter. We know that God loves us. We don't realize that God likes us. I pray this morning, God, that each one of us would have a fresh revelation, Lord, that you like us. You really do. We are your friends. And God, nothing whatsoever happens to us without your knowing or without your allowing and without your ability to get us through. God, you know that many of us are facing pressures in our lives, maybe on the home front, maybe in our business, maybe with our health, maybe from our neighbors, Lord God, maybe just by virtue of the fact that we serve you and we declare that we're Christians. So God, I pray this morning that you would help each one of us to just give you these pressures, to allow you to take from our shoulders, to take off of our souls the weight that we carry, to experience the lightness that you give, the freedom that you give, the knowledge that we are your friends. God, we ask this morning that you'd give us victory in all of these areas that we struggle with. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to cast our fears and our anxieties and our pressures upon you because you care for us. Help us to have a, re a healthy respect 
for the otherness of God, the holiness of God. And to avoid those things, Lord God, that you hate, and to love those things that you love. We ask, O oh God, that you give us your blessing and your favor. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.